0: Thank you Dave. Good morning family. Have you been enjoying a little bit of a long weekend? My one son and I went camping for the long weekend and it was a great fun experience for us. We, we came back yesterday. Other than the fact that we experienced campus and I packed everything except the tent. <laughs> so we got there Thursday afternoon and uh, we didn't have everything but nothing to put it in. And uh, so Natasha had to drive out and bring us our tent. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, these things happen. Um, Just Also, just to uh, make you aware of another event that's coming up, it's quite a busy time of the year for us. On the 24th of August, it's a Friday evening. Dwayne, that'll be preaching here on the 19th. His wife, Chris, is also visiting with us. And we will be hosting an evening for the ladies in the Minor Auditorium on the 24th. Um, We'll give you more information about that. You can see our social media. And I'm sure we'll have it in the announcements next week, but on the 24th that evening, Chris will have a time of worship with the ladies for them, and then Chris will be ministering, so please make sure you diarize that, that we can make use of that opportunity also. Today I want to be sharing with you the message entitled Extraordinary Citizens, and if you've been journeying with us, you'll know why that title, how how we got to that title. Two weeks ago, we started our series on kingdom living up in and out, and we spoke about how our God is an extraordinary king. And then last week we spoke about because he's an extraordinary king, we live in an extraordinary kingdom. And today we want to talk about if we're an extraordinary king that has an extraordinary kingdom, therefore we need to be and we can be extraordinary citizens. And uh, we want to talk about now what makes us so extraordinary. Now I want to ask you this question, and uh, perhaps you can share the answer that you think with the person next to you. What do you think is something that all South Africans have in common? A quintessential thing that you would say typically South African? Uh, don't tell me. Tell the person next to you. What do you think is the quintessential South African, something that we all share in common from different backgrounds, ethnicities, we all love? Braai. Do you agree? It's, do, how many of you say braai is the, you know, we braai. I think we should stop now and go braai. Hey? <laughs> As we say I've had to learn that we all love braying We just do it slightly different Some of our friends are, are vendor people And we've had to learn that um, When they say come over for a brai They don't mean bring and brai Exactly hey? They provide everything we just come Afrikaans people have this audacity Of inviting you for a brai But then you must bring your own meat <laughs> And like Mika discovered You don't take Vienna's and then eat Somebody else's steak you eat what you bring. I mean, but we all love braai. It's something just so South African. It sets us apart from other people. Now, I want to ask you: What do you think is the quintessential thing we can say all kingdoms of citizens of the kingdom of God have in common? The one thing that you say typical of the, the citizens of the kingdom. That's what I want to talk about. So you can go to your same neighbor and say, what do you think is the one thing that if you had to say, that's so typical of a, of a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, what would that one thing be? Ooh, now it's a bit quiet. Ah, I, I'm hearing some answers. It's okay. That's why I'm here. I'm here to tell you what that is. We, um, I think as, as believers, it would not be, hard for us to understand what that one thing is that defines us as, the, as extraordinary citizens of this extraordinary kingdom with such an extraordinary king. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. He sort of just gives it to us. He says, this is the one thing that needs to define our citizenship in the kingdom. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love But the greatest of these is love. How many of you would agree that that would be the quintessential hallmark of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God? If you're not convinced, let me read you Jesus' words. Matthew 22, verse 36 and 40. Somebody asked him this question. They said to him, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? What is that one thing that you say we must all adhere to? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the very great first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So those of you that lent to your neighbor and said love. Don't feel proud, but just say, thank you, Lord, for the grace that I have received that I got the answer right. Love. Now, why love? Why do we believe and why do we think the scripture says this to us? Now, I think the point that we're trying to make through our series and why we followed this process and this progression is we've said, first of all, that this kingdom of ours is so different. Because of its king that is so different. And what makes our king so extraordinary is that he is love. He's the God of love. Everything he does is love. Within himself, because of his Trinity, because of the Trinity, and we spoke about that two weeks ago, he is love. He's not just one that loves, he is love. He defines love. Everything he does is love. Everything he doesn't do, does not do, is not love. He is love. And because he is love, he has created this kingdom that operates on love. And therefore, if we want to be citizens of this kingdom, we need to understand what love is and how do we live love. And therefore, Paul writes this great portion of scripture for us, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we have to be aware of the context where he writes 1 Corinthians 13. Now, anybody of us that's been to school for a period of time will know that 13 becomes twelve between 12 and 14. Do you all know that? But do you know biblically that 1 Corinthians 13 comes between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14? Not just in, in chronological order, but it is specifically put there to create context and to draw our attention to something that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Now, these things that he describes is important. If we, if we understand them, we'll for for us to, sorry for us to understand why he writes that particularly. We need to know who he's writing to, and therefore understand the Corinthians a little bit. Now we've spoken about them before, but uh, let me put it this way: in the in the early church, in the establishing of the early church in that part of the world, the Corinthian church soon became one of the problem children of the churches of the time. They seemed to be so very influenced by their culture. And really struggled when they became Christians to discern what is that of their culture that they must carry in there to their faith with them and what must they leave at the door. And they so struggled to find the, 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 the right expression of their faith. And so often in the writings of Paul to the Corinthians in both 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's addressing problems with them. He's bringing correction to some of their thoughts and their attitudes and their actions. You know, the, the Corinthians had problems in the, around the communion, for instance. Remember that? Neil spoke about that once also, about how they didn't do the communion properly. They had problems with factions and schisms. They, they had problems in how they expressed their sexuality. They, they had various kinds of problems, and, and Paul had to correct all the time. And here, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul addresses a specific uh, dynamic within the church and wants to bring it into balance and into the right uh, place. How many of you know what one Corinthians twelve and fourteen focuses on? What are those two chapters so well known for? Anybody? The gifts of the spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul outlines for us the gifts of the Spirit, the importance of operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and and he mentions the gifts of the Spirit, and then he tells us how do we do that in community, and how the gifts of the Spirit should be lived within community. Now, it's interesting that he writes 1 Corinthians 12, then he stops, puts in 1 Corinthians 13, And then he carries on with 1 Corinthians 14. So he talks about, in 1 Corinthians 12, about the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. But in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. But from a completely different perspective, he actually lays a foundation that talks about love. And therefore, 1 Corinthians 13 is so commonly known by, by us as Christians as the chapter that's about love. Why did Paul put a chapter about love in between the gifts of the Spirit? Now, if we understood the Corinthians, we'll know why. You see, the Corinthian society was based on the pursuit of social justice, of of social standing. The, The whole thing about Corinthian culture at that time is how do you climb the social ladder? And it was very important for them. And the main way that Corinthians climbed the social ladder was through words, through their speech, through speaking. People in Corinthian culture that were revered and held in the highest esteem were people that could speak great wisdoms and knowledge and that, and, and philosophy and, and many of you will know that they were these people that in the culture were so highly esteemed and the Corinthians brought that into the, their Christian faith also and they started just applying that same thing in their daily expression of their faith and how they live their faith, they started elevating these ideas of speech and wisdom and, and, and knowledge became very important for them. So Paul writes to them to help them correct the situation. Because as a Corinthian church, they started believing that the highest form of spirituality is there for people that can speak with knowledge and wisdom, that was like for them. It became if you really want to see the best Christian, a, like we say in Afrikaans, a deep Christian. How many of you know that saying? A great Christian, a, a deep Christian. If you really want to see a Christian that you can look up to, you need to look for a Christian that is operational in the gifts of the Spirit and that can speak. And display the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God that is given by the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. And that's why we call the charismatic church, because we believe in the charismata, the, the gifts of the Spirit. We still believe today that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation today. And I know earlier we, we were encouraged by KB to sing in our, in our tongues, and we believe in speaking in tongues, and we believe in the gifts of prophecy, and we believe in those things. The Corinthians believed in it, but they really started elevating it, and they started saying, if you want to be a real Christian, you will be measured by your charismata, your ability to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. So now Paul writes to them the love chapter. Now if you understand with that which the Corinthians was thinking and elevating and valuing, now let's read his words. If I speak in the tongues... But have no love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's literally directly, t- he's not just saying something into the wind. We read it and it's, oh, this is nice. He was speaking right into their situation, challenging some of their thoughts. Some of your translations in the, it will say, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Because for the Corinthians, how you spoke, the authority you had when you spoke became very representative of your wisdom and your ability. So now the Corinthian Christians added to this, not only could they speak in the tongues and the words of men, but they could actually speak in the tongues and words of angels also. Wow. What an authority, what power. And Paul says, if you can speak in tongues, but do not love, if I speak in tongues, but I do not love, I am only a resounding gong, or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. What a powerful statement he makes to the Corinthians. He's saying to them, You can speak in tongues, you can have these great utterances of wisdom from God, you can have insight, you can have knowledge and foreknowledge. You can actually be able to prophesy what's going to come and be on this mark and be so that people go, wow, that person really has the gift of prophecy. Or you can have the gift of miracles and pray and see amazing miracle happens. Paul says, all of those things are wonderful. But can I tell you, they all become nothing if it's not from love. What a bold statement to make. He was cutting right through the Corinthians hierarchy of their social climbing even within the kingdom of God. Paul is saying if you want to be the highest citizen in the kingdom of God, the quintessential what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. You can do all these great things that the kingdom gives you. But if it's not from love, you're nothing. You're nothing. Because the foundation of the kingdom is love. And this is how the kingdom's love works. It's simply this, that God loved me. I didn't deserve his love, but he loved me. He gave his son for me so that I can become part of his kingdom. The only entrance I have into the kingdom is to receive his love that was poured out in in the death of Christ. And through the resurrection of Christ, become alive and to respond to that love. And therefore, everything I do in the kingdom is a, is, is a response to the love that I've received from God. I'm not trying to earn God's love. I am responding to God's love. If I speak in tongues, let it be because I'm responding to the love of God that has been poured out into my heart. If I prophesy, it needs to be because it comes from the love of God and it is expressing the love of God to the, to the community. If I'm doing miracles, it is because I've seen the miraculous power of God in my life. And I've experienced His miraculous power that is based in His love for me. He's not trying to impress me. He's trying to love me. And from that place, I respond and I can pray and have faith for others because of the love of God. It's the love of God that generates everything. Paul has a particular picture in mind when he says these words, because they lived in a time, and particularly in Corinth, there were lots of pagan religions around, and some of us have even seen modern day examples of this, where in pagan religions, they would also have these these moments where they would speak in frantic tongues and, 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 you know, have these chants that they do, and they would work themselves into a frenzy, and they would work themselves into some emotional, spiritual experience. And then, and then as they h- get to the height of that spiritual experience in that city, what often happened is they would beat symbols, and, and to show their spiritual experience that they've had. And Paul says literally to us and, and to the Corinthians, he says, if you speak in tongues and you have this great spiritual moment and experience, but it does not come from love and it is not about delivering love, you are just like the pagans, you're just making a noise. I've asked Herman to be behind the drums. So you may want to close your ears, but I want him to give us an example of what a noise is when you just hit the cymbals aimlessly with no consideration for the people. Can so close your ears if you want to. Herman, you can go for it. Give us a How many of you enjoyed that? So <laughs> we, we say encore, encore? No, please not. Thank you, Carmen. It's exactly that. He says you can have all the spiritual gifting and the great spiritual power that comes with the charismata of the Holy Spirit. But if you take away from it love, that's all you're doing. You're making a noise. You're upsetting people. You're making it uncomfortable for people. Wow, what a sobering thought for the Corinthians. Now what Paul is not saying is he's not devaluing spiritual gifts. He's not saying that you shouldn't have spiritual gifts because remember he wrote 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, he actually says you should desire the gifts of the Spirit. So he's not diminishing the gifts of the Spirit. He's not saying the gifts of the Spirit are unloving. He's not saying that speaking in tongues is unloving. He's not saying that prophecy is unloving. He's saying... All of these things are expressions of the love of God, but it must be that, an expression of love within a community. That's why I put such a great premium on how we practice the gifts of the Spirit in a community so that it is from a place of love. He encourages us. His problem is not with the action of speaking in tongues. His problem is with the actor that doesn't do it in love. So we're not diminishing these things and may we pray in tongues, may we speak in tongues, may we be charismatics to the nth degree, but may the thing that drives that or gives origin to that or ex- gives expression be that it is about love. You see, when what Paul is actually doing is when he does this, he revitalizes the gifts Because as long as the gifts is rooted in love, it will always stay fresh. It will always stay relevant. It will always have power. But the moment you start removing love from the gifts, they become irrelevant. They become terrible. They become a problem. And I think we've seen and experienced those things in our world. He carries on. He says, if I give all I have to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain Nothing. Again, a practice that started happening in the time was because the Corinthians were so intent on climbing the social ladder, even in their Christianity, they wanted to climb the ladder. They started figuring out that the way to gain respect and street cred, if I can say it like that as a Christian, is you give money to the poor. So they would give money to the poor and they would allow themselves to go through difficult times. It's interesting here that in the scripture, he says, if I give my body over to hardship." Now, real hardship and persecution that the people were experiencing at the day, you didn't give your body over to it. They grabbed you and took you and beat you. You didn't go and stand there and say, please beat me. And, and sometimes with asceticism, that's what happens. Christians try and earn their spiritual stripes by literally beating themselves. That's not what he's, t- he's saying, these Corinthians had this, they, they would give money to the poor. And they, and they would talk about their suffering and how they were struggling. But actually what they were doing is when they were giving the money to the poor and withholding themselves from certain things and with like fasting and struggling they were actually trying to buy people's respect. And Paul says you are throwing your money down the drain. This is a worthless transaction that you are going through. You are buying nothing when you do that. Cuz note there he's not saying that if you give money to the poor is not loving. Or to suffer for Christ is not loving. He's saying, they're doing this so that they may boast. So that they may boast. You're wasting your money. You're denying yourself things for no, it's got no value in the kingdom. Because you're doing it for your own stature. You're not doing it for the king. You're doing it for yourself. It's got no value. He carries on. And he starts describing to us what love is. So what is this love that needs to be the underpinning reality and truth through everything that we do? If, if we're not going to be known as, as real Christians because of our spiritual gifting, what is it that may let us be known as the quintessential Christian? Uh, this is the true citizen of the kingdom. What is that? And he starts describing to us what that is. What it is that every kingdom citizen must have in their lives. That will be expressed in various different ways. And, if, and he says two things first. He says in verse four, love is patient, love is kind. Gordon Fee in his great commentary on the Corinthians, and a lot of what I've said I, I found from his commentary. He says in these two words, Paul is both highlighting the passive and the active approach of God towards us in his love. First, the passive is this, that God was patient with us. How many of you know that God was patient with you? That he waited for you. He gave you time to come around. He, he didn't act so quickly. When you deserve judgment, he waited. He withheld his judgment from us. He withheld his wrath from us. He was patient with us. This is what God did not do. He's, he did not judge us. But what did he do? He gave, his, he gave us his mercy. Not only did he not judge us, but he stepped forward and said, I will forgive you. Now the citizen of the kingdom do the same things. We first of all become patient. The the Bible also talks about long suffering. Because we recognize God was patient with me, therefore I can be patient with others. When I see in others that they don't know the love of God, they've not yet received the love of God, and they're not acting in the love of God, I can be patient. I'm slow to anger. I can be long-suffering because I say, Lord, you are so kind and patient with me. How many of you so often get reminded by the Holy Spirit of how kind God has been to you? When you want to get on your high horse and be all self-righteous, And about how you deserve God's favor and how you deserve God's blessing. Isn't it wonderful how the Holy Spirit quickly shows you a slideshow of a couple of things. And you go down on your knees and you say, okay, Lord, I I recognize that I didn't deserve. I didn't deserve it. I'm patient with others. But not only am I patient, I'm also merciful. I extend mercy because that's what my father did with me. My extraordinary king. Did that with me, therefore as a citizen of his kingdom, I can do the same. I must do the same. He carries on and he gives us seven distinctions of what love is not. Again, right there before the Corinthians because they were struggling with these things. He first of all says, love does not envy. Some translation speaks about strife. You see, again, what the Corinthians were doing is because they put such a high value to social uh, image because of, and and particularly how people spoke and the power that they had in their personality and their gifting, and and that's why we even get the word that a person is a charismatic personality. They put such a high value on that. They started saying that, you know, Apollos has more than what Paul has. Therefore, I'm going to follow Apollos. He has got more charismata than what Paul has. And some would say, no, 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 I, I'm, Jesus was really the one, and he had the, the charismata. I, I'm going to follower of Christ. And the other one would say, no, no, Paul is the one. And because they were, and the envy started, where there's envy, there's competition. And they started competing with one another, saying, no, no, I'm a real Christian. I'm the real quintessential person of the faith because I follow this one that has the level of knowledge. And that has the words that is so persuasive. Why do you think Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. He exactly went right diagonally against what they were expecting. One of the things he did, I spoke about this before, is he did manual labor, something that a Corinthian person of high regard would never do. Paul did with the Corinthians. Because he was trying to break down this whole hierarchy that they built. And he said, it's not about those, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Love is not envious. It doesn't create competition. It doesn't pit one against the other. It doesn't say, why do I not have and so and so have? It doesn't focus on those things. It doesn't start you know, being disgruntled because somebody else has had the favor and the blessing and somebody else has been gifted by God. It doesn't become envious of that gift and try and make use of that for personal gain. It loves. Love is not envy. It does not boast. To boast means to draw attention to yourself. To be self-centered in your actions. And to, to in an inordinate way call attention to yourself. I mean this is wonderful in our context with selfies and Facebook and Twitter. and Everything we do we post and we boast. I know post and boast seems to be a quite, somewhere just somebody got the letter wrong. Sometimes it feels like we're so weak in our knowledge of how much we loved that we're trying to put everything out there so that we can feel loved and we can feel some affirmation. Love does not boast. You see, because the love of God was not about how great God was, it is about how much He loved us and how much we lost the message that we were His great children. That, that we're so important. That's what his focus was. And he came to restore to us the idea that we are his children. Love is not about how good I am, it's about how am I helping others to become how, who God has called them to be. It does not dishonor others, therefore. If love is about that, it doesn't disregard others. It doesn't break down others. It doesn't it's not rude. One of the translations speaks about rude, being rude. Being rude is, is just you, you look down upon other people. You, you you sort of think you're better than others. I've had the unfortunate situation of just once or twice. Mostly, you get to meet with people that we would hold in high regard as Christians and people that are amazing. You know, whether they speakers or evangelists or, or writers or authors, and and, you, and they're such wonderful people. And and I've met some people in those calibers. And mostly they're just great, humble people. But now and then I've met somebody, and you go, Ooh. that's a bit rude. Now. Do I stop respecting them because of their gift? No. But I can just say in my mind, you're not quite there where you're really the citizen of the kingdom that I want to respect and honor. Sometimes, you know, we had a friend years and years ago that was a great prophet. But because he had the prophetic gifting, he believed he didn't have to be nice and kind. He believed that actually his prophetic gifting was better when he was rude. And he was rude. And I go then you're elevating the gift again. You're not understanding that it's about the love of God. Prophetic people are not unkind people. You know, we shouldn't say, he's kind because he's pastoral, and he's not so kind because he's prophetic. No, then we are missing the point. There's kindness. In us as believers. Kindness based in truth. Does prophetic people speak the truth in love to us? Yes. But it's in love. It's always about the furthering, the representing of our God and his kingdom. I know I missed one there. It is not proud. Love is not proud. According to Paul, this was the greatest problem the Corinthians had had was pride. They so wanted to build themselves up the whole time. And if they've made the mistake of thinking your Christian faith is about building you up and giving you some form of status, they're missing the point completely. Love is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Again, because I remember how my God was so patient with me. The righteous, holy one was so patient with my lack of holiness and my unrighteousness. And he didn't get angry with me when I deserved his anger. He withheld his anger. Therefore, I can go, Lord, if I'm operating in that agape that you gave me and I can live that, I don't have to get angry with others. I'm slow to anger. I don't jump off the handle just like that. I don't get all Flustered and, because that's not what my father did with me. How many of you know that none of us would be here today if God was quick to anger? Hey? Praise God. Can we have the same love? It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not have a little black book and it writes things in. And says, (laughs) just wait, the wheel's coming around. Your day's going to come whether it's by my hand or God's hand, you're gonna be judged and you find great peace and joy in that. No, no, love does not do that. Because again, is that what God did with us? How many of you glad that all your record of sins has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus? That our King found a way to remove your record of sin forever as far as the East is from the West. It's gone, it's done, baby. No record. No record. Now we want to go and keep record. Uh You said this on this day. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Wow, what challenging always is. The idea basically of this is That love never gives up. It always perseveres because love knows that love wins the day. And it never gives up on somebody. What he's not saying is that we naively believe the best of everybody. We just believe everybody's nice and everybody's kind. Because that's not true. But what he does say is we never give up on love. No matter how hard the person is, no matter how unkind, how judgmental the person is, we believe that love can change them. And we'll never stop loving them because love will win the day. We don't give up on love because it's love that never gave up on us. We love as God loved us. I'm going to just quickly read you the rest just to complete the the chapter and then I'm going to finish. Love never fails. It always wins the day. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the, way, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. What Paul is saying, worship team, you guys can join me on stage. Thank KB. What Paul is saying is we must understand this. That the charismata, the gifts, are very important for today. We need them now. We need prophetic gifts. But how many of you know there's going to be a day when we're not going to speak in tongues anymore? When we're not going to prophesy anymore? because now we need prophecy because we don't see everything for what it really is and we need revelation, we need explanation. Many times it's a modern day example of the mirror that he speaks about. He's like, I've seen it in a photo but then I will see face to face. I may have seen a photo of Solo and, and thought, yeah, he's a very friendly, nice looking guy but then one day I get to meet him and I experience it. I don't just see it. I don't just have some vague reference. Now we live in that time where we need the gifts of the Spirit. We need the gifts of revelation to help us to see that which is so hard for us to see. But one day we will see it plainly. Now we need the gifts of miracles. But how many of you know in heaven there's going to be no gifts of miracles? Because the miracle has happened. No more tears, no more sorrow. But what will continue on in heaven of everything we have today is love. Love continues for eternity. So don't try and win your chops in heaven through the temporary things, but not excel at the eternal things. It's literally what Paul is saying. Use the temporary to display the eternal. Don't try and display the eternal through the temporary without the eternal. Love. Let the great love of God be stirred in our hearts. Therefore, these three remain, faith, hope. and. Do you know that you can have faith? It doesn't mean you love. You can have hope. It doesn't mean you love. But if you love, you will have faith and hope. Love gives reason and drives faith and hope. I have hope for this world. What is your hope for this world? The love of our extraordinary king for this world. That's our hope. That our king didn't give up on us. He's not going to give up on this nation. He's not going to give up on this world. No matter what this world does, I have hope in the love of God. Because you know, you can stand before our God, our extraordinary king. You can shake your fist in his eyes. You can blaspheme him. You can tell him all the bad things you hate about him. But it will not change the fact that he loves you. You can burn all the Bibles you want. You can take the Christians and burn them and use them for candles in the streets of Rome. It will not change the fact that God is on a mission to let you know He loves you. That is our hope for this world. And we have this treasure in earthen jars of clay. We fail. We're not perfect. The only hope I have of being a great citizen of the kingdom is to be loved by Him. It's in His love that I know who I really am and that I become changed and reshaped into His great image. It's when I get to know His love for me that it creates in me a different life. I become alive. I'm a new creation, a brand new man. All things, the things of hate and disappointment and anger has passed away. I've become a new creation. I can love agape, the God kind of love. Become, I may not be able to do it personally. This is not talking about personality types. and This is talking about God's love through each and every one of us. If you want that love, allow God to love you. I love Him because He first loved me. So that we can be in this world and that people, how did Jesus say the, the, that people will know that we are kingdom citizens? How did he say that, that people will look at you and say, that's a kingdom citizen by our love for one another. May it be in our country that people will look at us and say, there goes that Christian again. You see, always forgiving people. You know, that, that Christian irritates me so much because they're always just giving stuff. They're always just helping people. They, they, always gotta, they never say anything bad about anybody. They're always kind. They always have hope. They're so irritating. You're just a typical Christian. You're such a citizen of the kingdom. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? We display it through different gifts and things, but that is what the world cries for. Not because we're great, but because we've been loved so greatly. I want us to stand this morning. And I've asked the team to just, if we can, if you give me a little bit of time this morning, I think it's so important that this message steps over into a place where we receive right now. And if we can sing that song again and just step into that place of saying, Father, love me this morning. Just, I want your love, Lord, so that I can share your love. Thank you, KB. So let's just love the Lord and let Him love on us and just be in a little bit of a love environment right now. And then I'll end the service. Give opportunity for prayer. Thank you. Lord, I want to pray in this place today. I want to pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would break open our hearts, Lord, so that your love can be poured out into us, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you've done everything to show us your love. There's nothing more you can do, but help us to receive and help us to respond, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust you enough to step in and to say, Lord, here I am. Love me. When we pray for people at the end of the service, it's firstly about that, to just create an opportunity where we say to people, God loves you. He cares for you. He knows you. We want to just in some way just tell you that he is with you. And as we end the service, now, I'm going to invite you, if you just want to step into a place of just saying, Lord, I want to be loved by you. None of us that pray for you are perfect. None of us can love you perfectly, but we can allow the Spirit of God to just move in your life and just to pray for you. It may be that you've never, ever asked the Lord to love you, that you've never surrendered to his love, that you've never said, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm so far away from you, but thank you that you've made a way and I, I want to receive your mercy and your forgiveness. Then, if you come forward, you tell that to the person and they will help you and, and we've got a team and they will help you with that to receive God's love today and to begin a life of living in that reality that you are perfectly loved by an extraordinary king. Lord, I pray for your blessing over every person here today. Not just a a blessing which is a nice thing, but the blessing of the knowledge that we are perfectly loved. Though we live in an imperfect world, we have hope and love never surrenders, Lord. You've never given up on us, Lord, and we will not give up. We stand in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for every person here today. Just go with them by Your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.